0: What's up, everybody? It's Brian Barrett from Off the Pike, where we're gearing up for another exciting NFL season. We'll be with you every Sunday after the Pats with three-time Super Bowl champion James White to recap the game and break down the biggest moments. Plus, episodes Tuesdays and Thursdays to cover all things Patriots with your favorite Boston sports guests, as well as familiar voices from the Ringer Podcast Network. So follow Off
1: the Pike with me,
2: Brian Barrett, on Spotify.
1: Let's roll, baby. Welcome in. It is a Monday edition of East Coast Bias. Back by popular demand. We survived another Ringer Wise Guys week. And as you can tell, a little extra pep in my step. Dolphins at 2-0. I go 5-0 in the contest. I mean, I- I'm walking around like I'm Conor McGregor in the streets of New York. It's John Jastrzewski, Joe House, Raheem
2: Palmer. Uh, House, how about your commanders? How about that comeback yesterday? Yeah, baby. I, I'm so happy, and it's so nice of you to lead in with, with, with the C-words. This might be all of the airtime they get for the whole rest of the season because the, the, the schedule gets really hard. They host Buffalo this upcoming week, and then they got Philly the week after. But it's a radically different version of my home football team. It's the thing that we wouldn't dare, as fans, allow ourselves to believe. If that If any team any iteration of this Washington team got down like that 21 to three in the first part of a game like that, it was over. Like, you know, move on with your afternoon, go find some leaves to rake or something. The fact that Jack Del Rio and who I was very hard on at the outset of the game and coming into it was skeptical of, because there has been a Sean Payton and Joe Lombardi, combination, teaming up. They've faced Jack Del Rio over the years. They've had a lot of success against him. Rod Rivera has never won in, in Denver before. So there was a lot of reason to be very skeptical about how that game was going to play out. And lo and behold, you know, the versions of, of Washington that were the kernels of hope that we here in the DMV were clinging on to. It's a versatile offense. And Eric Bieniemy got cooking. It's a, like they have two running backs that are kind of combo backs. We saw Brian Robinson, the best game he's had as a pro. He can catch out of the backfield. He can rush for tough yards. Antonio Gibson had a huge catch to her, a 30-yarder. And Biennium, got cooking a little bit in the second half with that run-pass, short-pass combo. It led to confidence for my man Sam Howe. I mean, you, I, we're, we're only two minutes in here. I can do another 22 minutes on this. The defensive, the pass rush got going. And, you know, look. And you survived an all-time Hail
1: Mary. That's that's the other <laughs> thing, House. So, like, yes, the comeback was great. I left your team for dead. You're waxing poetic about all these great things you saw. True. But I would love to have had a live camera, Raheem, on our buddy as Russ shucks <laughs> it deep downfield. The ball gets deflected. Knock it down, as Tom Jackson used to say. And, House, what were we thinking as that ball gets deflected into the end zone for a Denver touchdown and you're sitting there getting ready for a two-point conversion.
2: Honest to God, the live experience of it, I'm like, he can't get it there. That's, that's dead-arm Russell Wilson. He can't even get it the whole way there. You know what? He didn't get it the whole way there. They bounced it. It bounced from outside the end zone into the end zone. And I was like, no way. No way. How is it possible? It was uh, very, I. I mean, I just had to laugh because it's like, wait a minute. This is, it's supposed to be different now. Everything's changed. Everything's better. And then it was back to that old, you know, that that sunk feeling that you get. It was like, wait a minute, there's still one play to go. And I will, will give uh, the Washington team enormous credit for this. They learned the hard way last season against the Giants. If you're in a situation at the end of a game where it's, it's goal line or whatever, just go ahead and be physical. Go ahead and be, let the refs make the call. Go ahead and be physical. Say Juice was physical. It was game over. That's it. W in the books for the C words, JJ. Hey, a you. For I me love the you. spin that you put on that. Like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> just be physical. Like, come on, man. Hey. We all know that that was passing interference. Oh, it was. And I'm very, very angry. As a, as a Broncos backer, <laughs> I don't know if I could ever beat any more angry. I mean, this team was up 21 to three and they were driving in Washington commander's territory about the score literally with six minutes to go in the, the first half. Like at minimum, they should be going into the half 24, three, let alone 27, three. And then they fumbled a the ball and all haywire breaks loose within seven minutes of game time. It was tied into the third quarter, so I think the biggest thing that you look at the Broncos, you have to downgrade this defense. This defense is awful. awful. I mean, you have you you have Sam Howell who couldn't do anything with that Arizona Cardinals team last week, who's clearly taken in the second half of games, and they put up nearly four hundred yards of offense, and they got whatever they wanted. They didn't punt the entire second half until the final drive. So, this Broncos defense is a mess. It's pretty clear that offensively, the Broncos just don't have many weapons outside of Jerry Judy. And it, it, they almost remind you of the Saints from a couple years ago with Drew Brees and Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram, but they don't have Alva, Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram. So, This Broncos team is a complete mess. I think at some point you got to question if it's time to go to Jarrett Stidham.
1: Wow. Even though Russell Wilson, brilliant first half, second half, didn't have the same results, get a lucky touchdown. Not wrong about P.I. on that two-point play, Raheem, but listen, as someone who had the commanders, and I'm sitting with a guy who might be a fan, who might have gotten screwed in a Sunday night game with Curtis Samuel last year, I don't think he wants to hear it. Now, Raheem, I'm going to start with you on this. Week two... Your grand takeaway from what you saw, betting wise, game wise, the floor is yours. It's open ended. Uh, what's your overarching thought after watching Week Two of NFL action?
0: Well, I think overs went twelve and
1: four this week, so overs.
0: it was pretty. Yeah, it was pretty clear that the odds makers in the market is over adjusted. I mean, you look at that Broncos Washington game, which we just talked about. It had a total of thirty nine and a half, and it was the highest scoring game on the board. So it was a lot of points in that game. And it's just a prime example of, you know, when the market goes one way, sometimes you have to zig while the market zags. It's just you just you just can't get married to what you saw in one week because things adjust. So um, very interesting
1: seeing all those points scored yesterday. Okay, House, I take the commander out of it. Your biggest week two takeaway.
2: Yeah, I'll pick up on Dream's point, um, which is to say we saw improved quarterback play. It really was, and this will be something to remember as we enter next season, the 2024 NFL season. You have to like be very careful with week one because it they've eliminated a preseason game, and a lot of teams are holding out their starting quarterbacks and they're getting no preseason snaps whatsoever. And it seems like in this seven team game context that they're using week one as you know the 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 knockoff the rust game. And it wasn't until the second half of this week that we saw quarterbacks like Joe Burrow, like Danny Dimes, you know, spring to life. Like the version of the offense that some of these teams had in mind didn't really show out. I mean, Geno Smith finally got cooking a little bit here in week two compared to now. I know that that was a unique circumstance that happened to Seattle last week with two of their tackles getting knocked out but this the version of of that seattle offense that we all imagined, we saw it against detroit in in, in in big time fashion this week um but to me the biggest takeaway is like the validation of the two classiest teams in the entire nfl the san francisco 49ers and the dallas cowboys they went out and handled their business good on the rams good on sean McVay. great fight i am i'm so impressed by the Rams, but man, San Francisco, when it's winning time, um took care of business all the way up to the point where they gave up a meaningless uh field oh, goal. Oh, that, that field goal, my a goodness. Lot of
0: markets. <laughs> 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 oh, it swung a lot of markets. Honestly, we gotta like at some point somebody has to ask Sean McVay about that because these coaches all know the point spread. I know what James Franklin from Penn State knows a, the point spread. Meaning, what is the benefit in kicking a meaningless? field goal at that point you could have kicked it 20 seconds earlier and possibly went for an
1: onside kick but to kick it there it's a bad look for the league well i'll tell you this it's in college you're seeing a lot of it because of the boosters like there's no getting around this james franklin covered a game a few weeks ago when he could have been in victory formation and it's laying 20 and a half against west virginia because guess what he knows he's got to go to these dinners. He knows he's dealing with people who are maybe laying the juice on his particular school. And he goes, I want to take care of my guys. I want to take care of my gals. I, I I don't know if Sean McVay is necessarily there. To your point, Raheem, you probably want to kick that 15 seconds earlier, 20 seconds earlier, even though you have basically no chance of winning the game. But that's where the math kind of breaks down where it's like, all right, kick it, get the onside kick. And that's the only way you win the game. House, uh, maybe Sean McVay, next time he's out and about uh, hitting Manhattan Beach or hitting Newport Beach or hitting wherever he's living in Malibu or whatnot, and people are throwing a couple
2: of shekels on the Rams plus the points, I got you guys. I think there's a version of this where we don't necessarily have to challenge the integrity. If it is the case that Sean McVay is generally aware of the success that his good buddy Shanahan has had against him. And if he's aware that one of the ways that those, that they measure success is against the spread. Well, he just caught one to the correct side of against the spread, right? If you look at on on balance, the fact that straight up San Francisco um, tends to kick the Rams ass in the regular season and against the spread, it's also the case. Maybe he's just kind of trying to catch up a little bit on one side, That's the best I can do in terms of a justification. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm working hard over here, JJ.
1: I understand that.
2: All right, I want to throw
1: this at you guys because in the AFC, two teams that people were very high on for different reasons. The Cincinnati Bengals, who've had a whole lot of playoff success starting off the year 0-2, losing to the Baltimore Ravens in a game in which their offense was dreadful in the first half, but then their defense, second half of the game, couldn't get a big stop and didn't look like the same Bengal defense we have seen in years past, and then there are the Chargers. And I want to say this about the Chargers. I know everyone kills Brandon Staley. I'm not a fan. I think he's a losing coach. Everyone wants to kill the Charger defense. I get it. The Charger defense is not very good. They got torched by two in Miami in week one. They got torched by the big play, and I can't believe I'm saying this, big play in Ryan Tannehill in week number two. But with all that being said with the Chargers, they had the ball, chance to win the game in the fourth quarter. They settled for a field goal. They got the ball in overtime. Go score a touchdown. I don't have to hear about how crummy and how crappy your coach and your defense is. They go and punt. Can we start holding Justin Herbert, the golden boy, who's super gifted and super talented? I know all the nerds love him on Twitter. Oh, Herbert does this. Herbert does that. He's beautiful. These throws, blah, 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 blah. Can he win? Okay, but Can he win before we are canonizing Justin Herbert as the next Dan Marino or the next John Elway or the next? Right now, he's got a Dan Marino career path because, well, the only difference is Dan Marino won some playoff games. Justin Herbert had a 27-point lead and his team choked in a playoff game. So, the question I'm going to ask you guys, I know I am answering. I am far more concerned about the Chargers at 0-2 than a Bengal team that started 0-2 last year and still found their way to the AFC title game. Raheem? I know you had the Bengals yesterday, so I'm going to start with you on this one. Are you on the same page with me? More concerned Chargers as opposed to the Bengals.
0: This one is really, really tough because I think I'm equally concerned with both. Um, I want to talk about the Cincinnati Bengals just because when I look at what I see from Joe Burrow, and you guys know I had a calf injury last year. I tore my calf, and it's a painful injury to come back from. And you look at Joe Burrow, this guy had intended air yards of just 3.1. So, he's not throwing the ball down the field. His longest completion was just 20 yards. So, this offense is, is a complete mess right now, and you look at Jamar Chase. He hasn't had over 40 yards in both of these games. Now, I know people are expecting the Bengals to do what they did last year, but they do play in a tough division, and they do have a tough schedule. And when I watched their defense against Lamar Jackson yesterday, they had no answer for him at all. They gave up 7.2 yards per pass. They gave up 4.8 yards per rush against a Baltimore team who, it was. A, this was really a smash spot. This was a spot where you're fading this Baltimore team who had injuries on the offensive line. You're fading this Baltimore team who had injuries in the secondary. Next week, you look at that line against the Rams. This is a team who, you look at that line, and it's, it's, it's a fascinating line move. They're down to 3.5. This line was 6.5 early. Wow, so that is it,
1: a big time line over him, big time. Yeah. Wow. so it tells you
0: that the market really isn't supporting this this Bengals team at all. House
2: more concerned, Cincy, LA. It depends on you know how you're defining the level of concern. Both of these teams, we imagined were going to be in the playoffs, right? And that we had uh, the the Bengals kind of penciled into that, you know, light pencil. We, we recognize how difficult the AFC North was, but there's a good reason to consider them as a, a front runner to win the division once again and be in that upper tier of the AFC. And I think we all sort of universally characterize the Chargers as being in that, you know, that they're, they're a wild card kind of playoff team. They certainly are not in a position, you know, as, as long as uh, Patrick Mahomes and, and, and the Chiefs are in their division, they're they're not really um, serious threats to win their own division. Uh, very very tough start to the season for Cincinnati, having to play those two divisional games, and it was compounded to Dreams Point the challenge of it by having you know Burrow injured in the way that he is last year's you know he was he was rusty because he had appendicitis right he he, he had to get his uh, uh, appendix out. Radically different kind of this, this calf injury that's a football injury, not appendicitis, right? So, him finding a rhythm with his guys, him finding that, 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 you know, symbiosis, if he's not feeling a hundred percent comfortable, now they do have, you know, a handful of games here where they can write the ship. You would think that they're going to hold serve at home against the Rams, a hard game going on the road against the Titans. Then they're at the Cardinals. So that, that feels good, right? They could be through five games, uh, three and two, and then they would be home against C- Seattle. You like them, they'll they'll definitely be favored, assuming everything sort of lines up, and then they have to travel to San Francisco, and then they got the Bills. So, you know, they they could get themselves into the into shape where it makes sense. The the Chargers to me are are more concerning because of how rudderless they feel, right? Like you can't continue to have these winnable games and have the ball at the end of these games and with an opportunity to win where you control the outcome of that game and not get it done with the frequency in which they are unsuccessful. That's the character and reputation of their head coach now. And it is, to your point, JJ, we're attributing it to to Justin Herbert, but I mean the plays that are out there for him to make are part of the overall playbook what's being put in. You know, Kellen Moore was supposed to help with this. We're just not seeing this Chargers team who could easily be 2 and 0 with just a couple of plays that they control the outcome of at the end of these games and not being able to get it done. So to me, the the Chargers are in 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 worse shape
1: Get ready for this one, guys. Chargers-Vikings in Week 3. That game has nutty, bizarre, slugfest, insanity written all over it. So, like, you're thinking about games that are shaping up for Week 3, a battle of 0-2s, the 0-2 Chargers, the 0-2 Vikings. I will probably bet that game. I will probably be pulling my hair out watching that game. And you just know, Raheem, Something wacky is gonna happen. I want to bring this up quickly before we get to Monday Night Football. Oh, you got something, Raheem. Go ahead. You know what's so funny? Um,
0: and you guys mentioned
1: it. It's like Justin Herbert
0: has to win these games at some some point. Do you guys realize that under Brandon Staley and Justin Herbert, the Chargers have lost 13 one score games. Yes. Yeah, that's losing football. For whatever the reason, it's losing football. And if you go back to that, and if you go back to that Jaguars playoff game in which, like, they blew that 27-point lead, and you look at the first two games of this series, season, Justin Herbert has had the ball with the chance to win, and they haven't gotten
1: it done. They've got, they have had three and outs on all of those possessions. And yet the head coach takes all the criticism, and listen, he's not very good. I, I want to state that. I am not a Brandon Staley truther, but let's hold Justin Herbert a little bit accountable. It is a quarterback league. You got to make plays at winning time. He has not done that enough, as far as I'm concerned, his NFL career. I wanted to give you credit, Raheem. You were all over the Bills yesterday. And I, I said it when we did Wise Guys. They're either going to win that game going away or they're going to lose outright. We got the outcome of the Buffalo Bills flexing. And, and I think it's going to talk some people off the ledge a little bit. Um, nice job. I-, I just wanted to throw that out there because that was one that you were all over. There was some dissension amongst the ranks for where we might stand on that particular game. That was a that was a feed up one for you, big boy. I mean,
0: I, I pretty much, I mean, I had a pretty bad day yesterday. I went two and three. Um, we went the head to head on on a couple of those, and you end up being right with the Bengals and then Washington. So um, you got the best of me this week. Hey, listen, <laughs> and
1: I'm sure we'll be returning the favor at some point before this NFL season rolls along. Uh, House quickly, after two weeks. Do you think that we are looking at a year that gets rotten, vile, and ugly for our buddy, our pal, Bill from Los Angeles? And the Patriots, I understand, home against the Eagles. Eagles are an outstanding team. Home against the Dolphins. They hung in. I mean, their offense is like watching paint dry. I mean, they have nobody who can create separation. The quarterback is not any good. They couldn't run the ball like New England's offense, even with Bill O'Brien doing a much better job. It doesn't have the horses, but is this the year house that we have old school college bill from LA melting down about the Patriots stinking up the joint? That's what I want to know.
2: I don't think so. He He's a realist. I mean, he, he understood last year, his uh, expectations were, were very reasonable last year. He didn't think that, that the Patriots are going to be very good. His expectations for this year, he was much more enthusiastic, and he was. I think his enthusiasm fell into two categories. The first was he he thought that the the defense was going to be good. The defense is is good. It's good. He also he also thought that the Bill O'Brien effect and and really getting rid of Judge and Patricia that that would translate into something. The thing that I think we're seeing is they just don't have the skill players on offense, and Mac Jones just isn't good enough. Ramondre Stevenson really hasn't got rolling yet, but I think that's a that's a a a combo effect. It's a, an effect of because there isn't anybody on the outside that teams have to worry about. There is no no threat Kendrick Bourne had a good game against uh the Eagles but was, you know, not n- nothing really uh th- this week against the Dolphins and that that Dolphins defense, you know, they they contained Mac Jones and and you know, this is the thing. I think the 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 realization that all of Patriots nation is coming to is that Mac Jones probably isn't that guy. He's a, he's a middle of the road. He's an average quarterback average to below average quarterback in the NFL. And so that means you're an eight win team or a nine win team at best. I think he's happy that he bet the over on seven and a half. They look fine as a team that might win eight games, even though they lost these first two games, but those are both like, those are six significant challenges Against teams with win totals that greatly exceeded what the Patriots' position was, so I, I he's a realist. I think he might be slightly depressed because I think he, he he thought, especially with the injury to Rogers, there might be a path for the Patriots. I mean, he said so on a couple of his shows last week. There could be a pathway for these Patriots, but I think that door is closed. JJ, well, I, listen, uh,
0: we, well, we we got to be honest about Bill because Bill sent us in the text thread that the Patriots. <laughs> would be at top of the in of the AFC
1: East after week three. He did. That, Thank you. That's what he said. Thank you. Good for you, Raheem. Putting him on it blast. was the His, week. Words. His words, not ours. Good job on that, Raheem. Good and, job. And one, and one thing I want to add is that
0: turnovers are really killing this Patriots team. The Patriots have allowed 33 first-half points through two games, and 20 of those, three of the opponents' four TDs came off turnovers. Um, this is Zach Cox. The Patriots beat writer. He put that on Twitter today. And I thought that was really telling. And then, you know, another thing when it comes to this Patriots team is that, like, I I think the biggest thing when it comes to this Patriots team is that I think they're being overvalued in the market because of Bill Belichick. You look at them as underdogs, under Matt Jones. They're 2-11 against the spread. Cleve TA on Twitter reported this like they haven't covered as underdogs since week eight. And Raheem, of we saw nothing
1: but short money coming in on New England yesterday and it didn't even scare me off the game. I still bet Miami. But when I actually oh, I, I actually bet Miami and I put this in the action
0: app, app yesterday i bet Miami once the line went down to one and a half. One and a half, half overreacted on
1: Jalen. I love Jalen Phillips. I love Toronto Armstead. But that's going to move the line a point? I mean, the, you had too many sharps just blindly betting the Pats because, oh, it's the Pats and they're not going to start off 0-2. Even though, listen, Miami's just, and I'm not just saying this guy, I'm a Dolphin fan. They're a much better team. They're a much better team. Without a doubt. And, and to me, I, I
0: said it in the chat, and I said it before. The Dolphins were the biggest winner of the Aaron Rodgers injury because. This is a team that is a legitimate Super Bowl contender, and they don't even have all of their horses because Jalen Ramsey isn't going to be playing until a
2: week ten or week eleven. Well, look, I'm knocking on wood for you, JJ. You can hear me knocking. They go as far as two goes that so healthy, if, no doubt. If we get if we get to a to you know, let's just get them to 15 games in the playoffs. That would be fine. I want. I would love to see. A Tua led Dolphins offense in the playoffs this year. I'm not going on wood for it as a football fan. Um, the odds are against it, but I, I'm I'm hoping for it. You and me both, pal. You and me both. All right, eventful
1: week two, boys. We got Monday Night Football breakdown. We'll do that next. All right, fellas, a double dip on Monday night. Personally. I wish the games were at 7 and 10. I know House probably disagrees because he wants to go to bed, but I'm a night owl, so I wouldn't mind having a game go well past midnight. We'll have to do with the staggered action. The Saints and the Panthers as the undercard a little after 7 o'clock. New Orleans is a three-point favorite. Cleveland, a road favorite against the Pittsburgh Steelers at 8.15 Eastern. And I know Mr. House, after our chat last week on East Coast Bias, after our chat on Ring of Wise Guys Sunday on FanDuel TV, how's Buddy? I think I know what direction you're leaning for Cleveland and Pittsburgh.
2: It's a true story. So if we're going to start with that game, I'm over invested, oversubscribed on the on the Pittsburgh Steelers. This is you know fair, full disclosure. Just what my mind's eye has gotten used to seeing. I just see the Pittsburgh Steelers at home against the Browns. Winning—that's what happens when the Steelers play them with with Mike Tomlin as the head coach, going up against the Cleveland Browns. What happens is Pittsburgh beats Cleveland. Now that is not uh, the kind of sound and sage analysis that we give out on East Coast bias or on wise guys or regular wise guys. But here, here's the thing that I do want to see. I want to see if this iteration of Deshaun Watson is a prime time quarterback because I feel like we've been really nibbling around the edges here. We haven't seen a single signature Deshaun Watson performance since he came back. The Browns handled Cincinnati in week one, but that was a defensive effort. That was a whole team effort. The single worst unit in in that game was the quarterback unit for the Cleveland Browns. Now, of course, Cincinnati with with uh, Joe Burrow, that, that was the worst unit. But I'm just saying, Deshaun uh, ran the ball fine, but missed passes all over the place. I'm interested in seeing TJ Watt move, going upfield, putting some pressure on, on Watson, and I want to see how Cleveland deals with that. Until Cleveland wins a regular season game against Pittsburgh, I got to go with Pittsburgh, so that's where I'm invested the, tonight they're they're mr dream
0: okay so this is so interesting um you guys know that pittsburgh hasn't like like pittsburgh hasn't lost a game to cleveland in like <laughs> like 20 years outside of the I mean, playoff, playoff game of home. course the yeah, playoff the one game, playoff cleveland game. Won,
1: but outside of the playoff game you nailed it Raheem, yeah, for sure right and
0: they also haven't lost a monday night game since like 1989 a night game at home. So it's like all of the stats and trends. You look at Mike Tomlin as an underdog. You're looking at the Steelers, 51, 28, and three as an underdog. Mike Tomlin as a divisional underdog. Mike Tomlin as a home underdog, 15, four, and three. So all of the trends point to the Steelers, but I think Cleveland is the better team. And I said this before, the Steelers, they were first in adjusted games lost last year. This year, they've already lost Cam Hayward, which is going to really impact their run defense. They've already lost Deontay Johnson, wide receiver. I mean, those are huge losses. And Kenny Pickett didn't look good. And now you got to go up against this vaunted Cleveland Browns defense. Now, you look at the other side of the field. We all know Deshaun Watson hasn't played well. Amari Cooper is probably going to be out of this game with a hamstring injury. Jack Conklin, he's out of this game as well. So, I don't see a lot of points being scored. I think the best bet on this game is the under 38 and a half. It's a very low total. We know there's been a lot of points scored this week. But I know you can kind of cough and sneeze and get over 38 and a half. But I still think this total was low for a reason. And this is probably the best way to go about it. But if I had to choose a side, I probably would go with Cleveland reluctantly, but it's just tough in this spot.
1: It's a very tough game to handicap. House, I totally get your logic with the Steelers. Home dog, Mike Tomlin, all the trends that we just discussed. I also feel like they're kind of baiting you to take the Steelers plus the points in this game. That's just kind of the way I look at the line. It moved quite a bit. It kind of, like, this is a line to me that should be Cleveland getting points. Cleveland should be, at minimum, getting two and a half for three, and yet here we are, in Cleveland's laying two, and that's where the market is at. I'm I'm going heads up here, House. I'm taking yeah, the Browns it's in this okay. game.
2: You look. Your your point is on the money. The look ahead line was indeed Pittsburgh minus two and a half. It flipped because of the outcome of last week. It was a five point line movement. So you're you're not wrong. You had it exactly right. Pittsburgh was a two and a half point favorite on the look ahead line, and then Pittsburgh looked terrible against San Francisco, and the Browns had, handled their business. So, so it moved and that's that's very sensible and I don't have any issue whatsoever. To be clear, my biggest investment and the way that I gave it out on the wise guys and on the the, the Friday gambling show with my homie Warren Sharp, you have to tease Pittsburgh. If the total is 38 and a half and you're pushing them up to eight and a half, you love that, right? A low scoring game where they're getting more than a touchdown, that's how you play this. Find the teaser leg and we're going to talk about this Saints Carolina game. I mean, there's kind of a teaser leg that makes sense there. If you're interested in investing in a new rookie quarterback, there's a way you could play this tonight, gentlemen. Well, I like the sound of that
1: house. Um, and one more note on this game. No Cam Hayward, no Deontay Johnson for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So I'm with you, Raheem. I-, I think this game is disgusting and low scoring and it has like 16-13 written all over it. I'm playing that under with you, pal.
0: Yeah, I, I just, I think we're both, I mean, I think we're both in total agreement. I, I think Cleveland is just going to, I think Cleveland is a legit contender this year. And we came into this year before preseason, before Kenny Pickett got all the hype, we felt like, and House, I think you felt like this as well. You felt like Pittsburgh was a team that was going to be last in the division and take a step back. And I think the the preseason hype kind of changed those expectations. But Cleveland is the team that is, is, is bound to make a leap. And outside of the trends that we saw from the past, to me, Cleveland is the much better team. So I think you're getting them under a field goal. Obviously, no one likes to play, you know, against a team that got blown out the way Pittsburgh did. But
1: I think I may have to. Okay, gentlemen, let's transition. We'll go to the undercard. Saints-Panthers. How's New Orleans is the much better team in this game? We all understand that. Carolina looked abominable in week one. However, there's a lot of trends and there are a lot of factors that just tell you New Orleans over the last five to seven years, they play really poorly in Carolina. So I, I was all ready to go and fire on New Orleans minus three. I'm like, the Panthers stink. I watched their game against the Falcons. They couldn't move the ball, pa-pa-pa. But those trends and the idea of New Orleans and the bad history in this building and on the road here in a Monday night spot. I'm a little queasy, buddy. I'm not gonna lie. So you have a you have a side, you have a strong feel on this. So let's hear it.
2: Well, I my my feel is to go ahead and tease Carolina up. Now you're not getting the best um, number with them at three because you're teasing up 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 to nine, but um I I think that we might be under uh valuing and maybe not giving enough credit to, to Carolina. They were kind of live in that Atlanta game. The entire uh Atlanta situation. Flipped when Bryce Young, you know, ha- had those rookie turnovers that you absolutely expect in a week one out of a brand new quarterback, you know, learning learning the NFL. But uh Carolina was very competitive. Their defense pass rush-wise was really effective against Atlanta. And, you know, it, it, it played out. It's why Desmond Ritter ended up with 115 yards passing, you know, against this this Carolina defense. Now JC Horn is out, and that's a bummer. For uh, Carolina, because they ought to be in a position where they're rushing the passer. Derek Carr does not like a pass rush, gentlemen. The numbers you can find of him under duress—they are not favorable when Derek Carr is under duress. Um, and the Saints cannot rush the ball. I think they had the single worst rush effective uh, on a, measured by effectiveness and efficiency last week in the entire NFL in week one. So if Carolina can put some pressure on Carr and can, you know, they they ran the ball pretty decent. They just had to move off the run because of the turnovers by, by Young. I think this game is going to be competitive. I don't have any problem with a tease that features Carolina going from three to nine, but I also understand, look, Frank Reich, we talked about his record as a week one head coach. Well, in week two, the market overreacts. And he's very good both against the spread. He's four and one straight up as a week two quarterback, a uh, 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 head coach. So like that know. Freudian
1: slip there with the quarterback. I love <laughs> well, that. House. Bring him back
2: to Buffalo in the early nineties. Love it. I'm, I'm taking him all the way back to Maryland. Maryland guy led the biggest single biggest comeback in college football history against uh, Miami. Anyway, that was a long time ago. Uh, yeah, I, I I I I'm I'm I think it's reasonable to be skeptical of the Saints in in, in this spot. Dream. This is this is tough. When I look when I initially
0: looked at this number, I initially thought Carolina was the play, but I can't back Carolina at all. And I think the biggest reason why is is their offense. And I I know they're probably going to get DJ Shark back, but Bryce Young, like he's behind a bad offensive line. This guy was 32nd in Pro Football focuses QB grade. This guy's like 26 in EPA per play. So like, to me, the Saints are improved offensively. Um, I like what I saw from Chris Olave. I like what I saw from Michael Thomas. I like what I saw from Derek Carr last week. And I think as as it stands, you win games by throwing the ball. To me, the Saints can go out there, and this is a low total as well. The Saints go out there and, and score, you know, 17, 20 points. They might win this game by 10. So I, I just don't have any faith in this Carolina offense. I think you're getting a cheap price with the Saints at minus three. So that's the direction I'm heading. Yeah,
1: if I'm playing the game and I don't like it as much as Cleveland, I don't like it as much as the under in the Cleveland-Pittsburgh game, I, I think the Saints are decide side myself. If the Saints are the team that they think they are, that they're improved with Derek Carr, that Alave is going to make this big you know, leap here as a second-year receiver that goes and makes plays consistently – You got to squash that narrative in the butt. You got to go and take care of business against Carolina, who to me profiles as one of the five to six worst teams in the NFL. Go win this game. So I get the logic there, house with the teaser leg. I have no problem with it. I think it's probably a smart play and a wise play. I am going to lay the three and not feel great about it. Um, Raheem, any feeling on the total in this St. Carolina game? I got nothing on this one. Me neither. Me <laughs> I, neither. I got nothing
0: on this one. Me neither. Because it, it's just, it, it's it's such a low total. I don't trust Carolina's offense. I, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if you had turnovers and this went over. Uh, I, I, just, I can't touch it. I, I just don't have anything on it.
2: Yeah, JJ, I have one play that I like that probably will, will be maybe my biggest investment. I'll do something on, on a teaser. I'm already over-leveraged with the Steelers on teases tied to both the Patriots winner and the Titans winner. So those legs are in place. I just need Pittsburgh to do its part to get us across the goal line. But I'm looking at Rasheed Shahid, who made the game-winning catch last week against the Tennessee Titans, right? Derek Carr got down the field. Uh, the Tennessee defense was formidable. They were gonna just try and kick a field goal to win the game. Derek Carr made one play. It was to Rashid Shahid, who is going to be the beneficiary I think, of of J.C. Horn being out because Michael Thomas will get all the attention and Chris Olave will get all the attention. And Shahid's uh, total on the FanDuel Sportsbook right now, 40 and a half yards, minus 110. I think I'm going to make an investment in in Mr. Rashid Shahid uh, being a a star on the national stage on Monday Night Football uh, tonight. Ooh,
1: okay. I like a little player prop action from our buddy Joe House. And before we say goodbye... I do want to commend the podfather. We gave him some crap about his terrible take in the AFC East, which was atrocious. Good for Raheem outing him on that. But I did play his boost, which was the Stevenson seven and a half. It was like the emotional hedge for me with the Dolphin game. I fired on that bill. Thanks to our friends at FanDuel. It ended up making the night that much more profitable for your boys. So on that note, Joe House, Raheem Palmer, John Jastrzewski signing off. Want to thank our buddy, the War Gone Warrior. We're back later in the week with East Coast Bias. But Raheem, quickly, what do you got coming up tomorrow? Tomorrow, we got the Diamond show. I actually saved what we'll talk about for tomorrow,
0: but, you know, check it out. We're doing this each and every Tuesday. We'll do a little something different. Last week, we did week one overreactions. Um, hopefully, you guys like that. But um, one thing I want to say is leave some positive reviews on the, on the Ringer Gambling Show on Apple. So
1: we got a lot of hate. So oh, is that so let let us see, know that's how much- good thing I don't check these things? I'm glad that I don't check these things, Raheem. See, I'm doing myself a favor by staying off this crap. <laughs> but thank you for that. We'll take any positivity we can. So if the haters, go take a hike. How about that? That's my feelings. Raheem, House, JJ starting off. Enjoy your Monday. We'll chat later in the week. Peace. Be good, everybody. Must be 21 and present in present select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text nextstep 53342. in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777. Or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit Gambling Help Line MA or call 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.